you ready for farm freedom? It's not just, you know, muddy pigs and roosters crowing and walking around in boots all the time. You know, it's a lot more than that. You can make money from this lifestyle, more so than just selling extra eggs at a roadside stand. Hey guys, so in the last episode we talked a little bit about, well we kind of just mentioned that we had a struggle for us getting to farm life that we, you know, we looked at a farm when we were first looking for a house, um, didn't get it, didn't want it, (laughs) Uh, finally we got here, obviously we're at our farm now, and we just wanted to take a little bit more time, give it an episode to tell you a little bit more of our story um, and kind of just the, the path it took us to get here, to get to a farm, just so that it kind of makes a little more sense. No matter what kind of hurdle you might come up against, you can get to a farm. This is basically going to be just kind of short version of our story. So for me, I grew up out in the country. Um, you know, we had four wheelers and other toys playing in the woods and around farm fields and grew up around kids that lived on dairy farms and I was always kind of envious of those kids because they got to drive large tractors and do all the stuff that I strangely enjoyed doing even though a lot of people were saying you realize this is work throwing hay is not fun but for me for some reason it was so that's kind of where I got my start and desire to farm. Um, I grew up in the suburbs, but my parents, my grandparents always had huge gardens, did canning every summer. Like that was the thing. It was summer. You had a vegetable garden. We never really farmed more than that just because of where we lived, but I always wanted a farm. My grandparents lived next to, it was only like a six acre farm, but when I was like six years old, I told my grandma that I was going to buy that house when I grew up and live next door to her. Didn't happen, unfortunately. But that was just always kind of a dream of mine. It turns out that on my mom's side of the family, I actually do come from over in Europe. Um, Apparently my my ancestors were uh, like a farming family there. And then they moved to America during the war and they farmed here. So apparently farming is kind of in my blood one way or the other. We met in college. And uh, now we've been married for a total of 10 years. Uh, Sometimes I question how we got to this point. (laughs) It's too long. Both of us have, have just for some reason wanted a farm forever, but it just just never really felt like a priority, right? It was kind of like, oh, wouldn't that be nice, but it's going to cost so much. We'll I th- see. I think what held us back, too, was we were afraid that we would buy a small property that was just good enough. Right. And- we looked at a lot of, like... 10 acre places at first five acres not to say that that's not enough but for what we want to do yeah we were afraid we'd be stuck there and never be able to truly do what we wanted to do would we settle in and get too comfy make a dent in the couch kind of thing and never leave one of the other reasons that we never really went to a farm sooner i think is because we live in rochester most of my family's in buffalo eric's family is scattered like all over so Whatever, they don't count. (laughs) Um, But my family is mostly in Buffalo. And so we always wanted to move to a farm in Buffalo. But 
moving cities is a lot harder than, you know, moving to the next town over. So trying to, you know, shift work and get new jobs and everything, it just, it just never really lined up. Another issue that kind of kept us from doing it back then was that I was working a ton of hours and I just don't think it would have really been possible for us to have a farm. So had we bought property, it would have just been property. Right. It was with, with both of us working, it would have been like, that's cool. Somebody mow the lawn this week. That's about all we have time for. We would have maybe even lost the taste for it just because of that. And maybe it was maybe. meant to be that we weren't there. So we kind of were working in the background in terms of eventually I became a stay-at-home mom when our first child was born. Eric was working on getting different work, basically. Um looking for a new job in the Buffalo area so that we could, you know, kind of move the family out there. But my job was really tough because it was 24 right. seven, 365 days a year with little to no help. So right. And every time you took a vacation day, they were like, can you still answer the phone? Yeah. And they so, even tried to make me work on those vacation. Days right. At times. So, so the new job was kind of needed. That position was just too much anyway, but yeah, I, I took the job out there. It felt great. I was ready to move out of there. And then Shit hit the fan. I only made it a couple weeks in my job before my health just started declining. Just started. Which was weird because you had just left a super physically taxing job. For a. For a desk job. Yeah. And then you were getting like super sick. Yeah. I was coughing like crazy. I felt like I had the worst sinus infection that I've ever had in my life. And kept going to the doctor, and they would try more and more medications, and it really just kept getting worse, even with the medications. Right. And the biology major in me was pretty insistent that something major was going on, that you kept saying, no, it's fine. It's just a sinus infection, right? Like, everybody talks about man colds, and you went completely opposite of man colds, that instead of being a total wuss, you like insisted you weren't sick. And I'm like, nobody loses 10 pounds a month for two months in a row without trying unless they're really sick. So we'll fast forward here after what, like a little over two months of that and not getting anywhere with the doctor visits, not getting any better with all the medications. Yeah. Um... I went to the doctor again. Right. And the doctor looked at me, and I guess I was gray as could be at the time. And the yeah, doctor freaked pale. out and told me I needed blood work immediately. I needed chest x rays and a lot of other things. Right. Which was awesome timing because it ended up that that night I had to go to the hospital for um, the, what was it? The stress testing? Stress testing was the night yeah, before. Yeah, right. It was the stress. The day before was the non-stress test, and they didn't like the results, so they wanted me to do a twenty-four hour urine collection for preeclampsia testing. And that night we had to go to the hospital and then do more monitoring, at that twenty-four hour mark. So we took that pee in, <laughs> which was so fun. And they determined for me that I had high blood pressure at the end of that pregnancy, which like. No shock. It was anxiety, guys. I was right. <laughs> but we went to the hospital for me to do the monitoring, and because of the high blood pressure, they determined that I should definitely get wheeled down to a room and start getting induced for labor. 
at the same time. So while we were still sitting in triage. Our phones are blowing up. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking it's 8 o'clock and the doctor's calling me at 8 o'clock. Why, why would they be doing that? No, you didn't even get half of the calls. Like it rang once and then hung up and you were thinking it was like a glitch because it happened like three times in a row. I, I thought we had it no was, service yeah, in I, the room. And then your mom called, right? Didn't your mom call both of us? Yeah, because I guess my mom was on uh, my contact list with right. the doctor's office. Your emergency. She's your secondary emergency. They couldn't get me because my phone didn't work at all. Yep. And uh, the doctor told me that I needed to be in the ICU immediately. Right, because your blood work, they told you, go get some transfusions so you can make it through labor with her. So, fast forward, that was a weird night that I was in one side of the hospital for labor and dilating and all that, and was, he was in the ICU getting I multiple was, blood transfusions and tests galore, and I don't even know all of what, I don't even know if you remember what, but the short version, I guess, is fast forward to fully dilated, ready to push. Nurses yelled, hang on, get the dad. <laughs> and they jailbroke you. Yeah, they weren't supposed to take me out of the ICU. Don't get anybody in trouble. But, but they did. They brought, yeah, they brought him up to the maternity room, um, the labor room. So he was there to see our daughter get born. Which I saw about, what, 15 minutes of labor? It was really, it was, yeah, I only had to push for like 15 minutes. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, I couldn't uh, draw it out. I couldn't. <laughs> but, yeah, so you were there for that. You hung around for a little bit for weighing and washing and... Yeah, meanwhile, I'm in... <laughs> in a hospital gown. Yeah, that was my favorite memory of that, was that we were both wearing matching gowns yep. when she was born. That was so cute. We didn't plan matching outfits, but it... Yeah, it worked out it perfect. It just worked. <laughs> it just worked. <laughs> Yeah, so shortly after we welcomed her, that's uh, when I got taken back downstairs. After they took me downstairs, they took me upstairs to a different spot. And that was to the cancer center. As I walked into, or I shouldn't say walked, as I was wheeled into the room, there was a doctor sitting in there. And that was my first oncologist. And that's when she explained that I had leukemia. You didn't even want, man. I remember I was like pulling teeth getting that out of you when you came back to visit us later. It was like, I can tell you're upset. Tell me what it is. It was tough um, to hear that you had cancer the same day that she came to the world. I know I personally was really worried of like, oh no, what did we do to these kids? Is there any genetic component? Like, that was really scary. Um... We got shook. We got shook up by that. Absolutely. But, you know, what we focused on a lot was staying positive and the fact that you got to stay home with her for the first year. Because you missed a lot of the first year for our son because you were working in that other job so much and you weren't home more than, like, you yeah. were leaving before he was up and you were home after he went to bed most nights. So to get that year at home more like a year and a half at home with your kids yeah i was i was, was able awesome. to do a lot of bonding that right most fathers don't and get it to was do. and it was tough i think all around because i know on my end it's like you know i can't do everything i just pushed out a baby eight pounder no less so it's not like she was a tiny little thing i'm not really feeling all that physically ambitious for a little bit but 
somebody still has to make sure that our son has breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and that dishes are done, and that groceries are bought, meals are cooked, house is cleaned, lawn is mowed, dogs are taken care of. I mean, is Eric taking his medication? What appointments does he have? Have I Getting eaten? him, yeah, have you eaten? You actually did great on eating for the first, like, six months because they had you on steroids too, though. So that actually sucked because I couldn't buy groceries fast enough to keep up with you. So that that sucked. But by and large, the hard, I mean, for me, the hardest part was just having more than one person's share just shifted onto my plate right at one of the moments in life where you expect to be able to offload some of your plate because, you know, you have this new baby to take care of. Yeah, another tough part was definitely our income. Um, Luckily, I was with the company long enough to qualify for short-term disability, but barely. (laughs) Right. And I was, you know, able to go on to it, but that was 40% less than my normal income. Right, and I was definitely not in a position. How many times we talked about that so much? Like, should I go get a job? And it's like, how? I just had a baby two weeks ago. Yeah, you know, they, I can't do that. I can't do that to her. And there were quite a few times during that first six months where I was basically unable to do much of anything. You did okay. You did okay. Physically, you were okay with, like, you know, you could... I could do simple things, right, but I like wasn't... Right, you could make a sandwich for Alex. Yeah. But you took a lot of naps. Yeah. Oh my God, you took so many hours of naps. I remember being so mad at you. <laughs> so jealous because all I wanted to do was nap and I couldn't. Like, no, nap when the baby naps. Nope. I'm pretty sure I took more naps than the cats. I think the cats were jealous of I'm my I'm pretty sure ability. you took almost as many naps as the newborn. Yeah, pretty much. But... You know, they did say sleep when the baby sleeps. (laughs) Yep. One of us got to do that. But yeah, that was, that was really a tough spot. Um, That was really survival mode for us. And it sucked, like we said, that you ate so much. And so like we definitely went farther into debt because we had like $2,000 grocery bills some months because I literally could not keep you fed and... There were da- I don't know if you remember this, but there were days where, like, when you weren't on the steroids, that you'd have appetite issues, and you'd be like, I want a sub, and it's like, okay, can I just make you a sandwich with the deli meat we already have? And you're like, no, that sounds disgusting. And, like, you, you had stretches where, like, you could only eat this specific thing. Yeah. And so it didn't matter what it was and how much it cost, we cared more about keeping food in your, in your system because that was what was keeping you, like, doing well and responding well. But, damn, you cost a lot. <laughs> yeah, and that's when I was in the hospital. Their food was okay when I was on steroids and would eat anything. But right, when I wasn't like, on eaten steroids. drywall, you were so hungry. But when I wasn't on steroids. Right, but even still, the hospital only gave you so much. And how many times did, like, my parents go deliver food for you? All of the time. Somebody oh was gosh. bringing me food. Right. So, yeah, but, but like financially, that was definitely survival mode. Um, like you said, it was like a 40% income loss. That was really hard. That yeah. was really tough. That like we'd been doing fine as a one income family. We were making it work. 
We were working on debt freedom still. We were making a dent. But to have gone into deeper debt because you were sick was really, really tough to get past. Um, but you got through treatment, had your transplant, had a bone marrow transplant. Got through that, had a medication interaction, almost blew up your kidneys. Got through that, finally went back to work. Well, that was not, awesome. Not with the company that I worked at for 10 weeks. Right, cause... went back to the company that you had left yep. in a different position. And that was awesome. And you were doing better and you were recovering. Then after, after I'd been back for about a year, they offered me another position that would take us out to Buffalo. And, you know, that was kind of our dream the whole time. Right finally yeah and you know we we'd been working towards it we wanted to get out there and that's where we wanted to buy that's where we wanted to buy our first house when we first got married we wanted to move out there but couldn't so yeah to finally have that opportunity um to move out there was like an absolute dream come true (laughs) it's like finally we're back on this track we're back on this dream we had for our life of we're going to be out there near family. We're going to buy a farm out there. It's going to be it's going to be fantastic. Um we had actually picked out we looked, right? We looked at it. We picked out a property and it was perfect. We we had seen it. It doesn't we, it doesn't matter. We'd driven past it enough times right. to know it because it's a mile and a half from my grandparents. So if I couldn't have that house next door to where like I wanted, a mile and a half away is about as close as it gets, right? For that acreage cuz oh yeah, it was so, 100 acres. It was yeah. my dream. It was my dream. I had three ponds. It was perfect. And we were so excited. We were out. I remember we were out at my family reunion in August that year. We had told my whole family, like, guess what? He got our, like, my whole family was so excited. They wanted us to move out there. Everybody was like, yes, finally, you guys get to come be near us. And, and then so about a month before I was supposed to start the new role. It was two weeks after we told everybody, not even. Yeah, which was a month before I was supposed to start the role is right. when I relapsed. Within so, a week of telling everybody, you relapsed. Yeah. And it was like, son of a... And we really didn't think a relapse was possible after the transplant. We kind of Right, the, the transplant was supposed to be the insurance policy against that. But, so that was terrifying um to have a relapse because your cancer had what like a 30 percent survival rate the first time you got first sick with around, it yep. because of your genetic subtype of it that you have a really terrible subtype of it so to have gotten past it and then have a relapse was one of the most terrifying things because it really had that you know that what if kind of feeling at least on my end I can remember the doctor saying, well, we're not going to talk chances on this one because the percentage is a number that I don't want to say. It's only going to go lower than 30%, right? It was, it got worse. It gets worse with every relapse. With every cancer there is, it gets worse with every relapse. So that sucked. But, you know, you got through that one. Yeah. and Surprisingly quickly with that medication. my, My boss pushed off the promotion, kept me in the role that I was in so that we stayed here in Rochester because... He didn't want the stress right. on me of trying to well, run and the you new were, role. Well, and you were and, doing outpatient treatment for this right. one, for that relapse. So that actually worked better because then you stayed here to make it easier to get to appointments and stuff. Yeah, I didn't have to go out on disability. I actually worked through the whole thing, which was nice. After we got through that round of cancer, which kind of was a miracle that the treatment 
pulled me out of it because it wasn't an right. expected. They didn't expect you to get through it. They expected you to do that treatment to get it under control and send you down for that trial treatment. But you got to remission in like two months. Yeah. And, and they were totally floored by that. So we kind of came out of that saying, you know, maybe maybe Buffalo is not where we're going to be able to live. Maybe we right. need to stay close to the hospital right. because yeah. they what, basically really? told me the relapse would happen again. We came out of that really kind of surprised because we were really um, under the impression that it was not possible to get to a relapse without this trial, that that was pretty much one of your only options at the time. You mean remission? Yeah, get to remission without the trial as one of the only options at the time. It was the week before Thanksgiving. Two Thanksgivings before that was when you were in the hospital for the transplant. So to have had a good year and then have another year of you sick and to be able to go into that Thanksgiving with the news of you're in remission, that was really something. Um, and I had been reading a book at the time that had a fantastic line in it. I don't think I would have ever absorbed that line the same way if you had still been sick. I think it took you getting into remission for me to really kind of process what it said, but... This book, basically, it had a, a thing in there about the idea that when we make choices from a standpoint of fear in life, um, you're going to choose what's familiar. And that's because what's familiar is what's known, it's what's safe. Whereas choosing from a standpoint of possibility, you probably have to choose the unknown, and that's going to be obviously a little bit scarier and I remember walking into the kitchen that night after I was reading that going we gotta talk <laughs> yeah I can I can remember you coming up to me and saying that and at first I was like um okay because <laughs> it was just kind of completely out of the blue <laughs> right coming brandishing a book going we gotta talk and you're like what the hell <laughs> I think so, you were making ice cream at the time so I'm really sorry for throwing you off but so what she proposed to me was, why can't we buy land and a farm here in Rochester instead of... And we sound really stupid for admitting that. We that were... relapse really put us into this mentality of, we're stuck here. Yeah, absolutely. It came back, you know, we just thought we were getting out of this house, the city, we were going to get in, jump into our dreams, and that relapse really made us feel stuck. Like, well, I guess we're stuck in this house, which is fine, because we bought a house that should not have been a first house for a young married couple because we got married at 22, you know. So, but we chose a house that was still within kind of our price range, but it was a house that we said we could happily grow a family, we could retire here. Like, yeah. if you've got to get stuck in your first house, that was a great one to get stuck in. Had yeah. a, a nice big house, nice yard and everything, but it's not a farm. So I think going from feeling stuck... To reading that line in that book, it was one for me. It was a moment of, you know, we wanted to farm in Buffalo, but is there a reason why we couldn't just stay near the hospital and his team here and still have a farm? Is there any reason why a farm shouldn't happen just because it has to be in a different city than we planned on? Is there any reason why a farm can't or shouldn't happen for us? And for those of you that don't know, Western New York is not enormous. Rochester to Buffalo is... Right. They're only an hour apart. Yeah. It's not... 
it's not, not a, a huge difference. Five hour drive, but it's, still, it's, it's, it's still doable. it's still crushing though. Yeah, to it was. to not be able to live whatever it would have been seven minutes or no seven minutes walking time from my grandparents. Pretty much. I guess in short, we kind of came to that that realization that life is too short, which I think a lot of people are are kind of familiar with that. A lot of people have had moments where they they feel the same. I think for us, it was just kind of time. We we really wanted to get past cancer and live the life that we always wanted to live. Right. To me, if you didn't do something, you're still letting cancer win. Even yeah. if you're in remission, cancer's still beating you. And you've got to take that step away from it and keep moving on. That was really what this decision was. I would agree with that. I think that was definitely something that we had talked about, too. The idea of we have to push for this farm because even though twice cancer has tried to stop us, we can't let cancer dictate how we live our lives. So I painted the kitchen cabinet starting, I think, the next day. (laughs) Yeah, it pretty much was the next day, I believe. It took, what, like six months for me to flip that house because we hadn't really done any of the projects that we wanted to do. We had done some some remodeling, but we not like the, painted a couple of rooms. That was about ones. it. We basically painted a couple rooms, and we replaced like one toilet because it stopped working. We put a doorway in a wall. We did put a doorway in, but that's kind of minor compared to everything <laughs> else. But yeah, so over the next six months, um, that was actually right about right before COVID hit that we made this decision that we're like, yeah, we're gonna sell our house and move. And then it was like, maybe no, we're not. <laughs> yeah. So during this time, we started. I would say we started looking at houses, but most of the houses we wanted to actually look at were selling kind of like the market is now, where we didn't really get a chance to look at it. I kind of started obsessively watching Realtor like every day, and there was actually a lot of stuff listed, but it was always this combination of not the right acreage or not the right lot shape we didn't want corner lots we didn't want really busy roads we didn't want just a wide open field with a house (laughs) right right there's a lot of ex farmland available in our area sometimes there there are a lot of places with great houses and horrible property and there was a lot of places with great property and horrible houses which is kind of what we ended up with (laughs) but it's it's all right we can live in it it's fine yeah, we didn't we didn't really have like we had a list of dream features for our property, but I don't know that they were really like hard and fast rules. Yeah, you pretty much uh, kept blowing up my phone as you were doing all the work on the house with different house listings <laughs> of check this one out, look at this one, and some of them I'd look at and be like, uh, no, not a chance. And other ones, oh, maybe this would work. I kind of started making a list of what we needed on the farm. Like now that we're actually doing this, it's not. Obviously not going to be 100 acres anymore because there wasn't 100 acres for sale around here or in our price range. I think our biggest thing was we wanted at least 10 acres to do everything that we wanted to do on the property. We looked at our bare bones minimum was five because a lot of towns in our county and kind of surrounding areas are a five acre right to farm minimum, which a lot of people outside of like New York and in places that don't have these right to farm minimums and even other counties in New York. A lot of people are like totally shocked by that. But in our county, at least, that's actually kind of common. Most of our county is a five acre minimum to have that automatic right to farm, which means 
anything less than five acres, there should be a variance process to apply for. But we definitely didn't want to be under five acres because we obviously wanted a full farm of chickens and cows and whatever. So five was our bare bones minimum. And then, ten was our more practical minimum. We really wanted ten because... You know, five acres, you could definitely have chickens in a garden, but could you have a cow? It might be a little tight yeah, for a like cow. Yeah, like you could fit, you could fit it in, but it's like, don't plan on having a rotational pasture. Yeah, and you don't want a lonely cow. You always want a second cow, and you might not be able to do that on five acres. So 10 was really our number. Along with that... Well, 10 was our minimum number. Yeah, 10 was our minimum. We weren't aiming for just 10 acres. We wanted... 100 but yeah wait, 10 I was mean, minimum it'd be nice to have a thousand but that wasn't really uh logistically actually possible. you were willing to settle for 10 i was not really willing to settle for under 25 but that's because i'm greedy so <laughs> <laughs> some of the other things that we really wanted were some kind of water on the property whether it be a creek pond something and then we also wanted land that had some wooded areas some, some something to it yeah we didn't want just a plain piece of property that was all the same thing all over if we had all wooded we wouldn't we'd have to do a lot of work to be able to right have we didn't want to have to clear or, it and we kind of wanted the the property that has everything you know a little bit of space for this a little space for that room for yeah. farming we wanted hunting space and that was not the easiest thing to find when we started looking a lot of properties would hit some of the requirements but not really hit all of them well they weren't requirements desires whatever you want to call them honestly once we started looking here in, in rochester instead of buffalo all those nice to haves aside the only really two hard and fast rules that we followed to narrow our search down is that it had to be at least 10 acres we obviously had a price limit but that's kind of different and it had to be within like 15, 20 minutes to the hospital because after you got through that second relapse, they told you probably going to come back, plan on being back here in like, what, three to six months or like four to six months, I think was the expected relapse they, range. They told me within nine months and they basically hit that number almost dead on. So they, they told us plan on relapsing again, making that decision from a choice of possibility of like, we know you're more likely to relapse than not. We know we're probably going to have to go through cancer again. Do we want to do that in the house that we know we can handle it in? With neighbors who are angels on earth and cleared our driveway for multiple winters in a row for us so that I wouldn't have to do it because you couldn't? Or do we want to try and take this gamble and jump off the ledge, right? Take that leap of faith, see what comes from it. We really rolled the dice and went for it. Right. So our, our hard and fast rule... More than anything else, more than acreage, more than anything, we had to be within 15, 20 minutes of the hospital. We also kind of targeted being within 30 minutes or less, preferably, of family so that if we ever had... Keep in mind, we'd already been through cancer with him twice. We kind of knew what to expect and saying, if there's an emergency, if we need babysitters short notice, if somebody needs to take him to the hospital, we got to be close to the hospital, but we got to be close to our support. We got to be close to the family we have. And if we have to stay near this team, we got to be close to family. So my brother and my parents live out here. That was the two map points we had to help kind of, you know, make a radius around that and the hospital and kind of find where it, where it met in the middle. And long story short, we got a, we got a real, we got one heck of a property here. I gotta be honest, guys, I'm not bragging, but like, we have a train car. <laughs> We've got a pond. And 
We do have a pond. It's not a very good pond. It's kind of small. It's it's a work in progress. Yeah, well, maybe it'll be worth something someday. Our favorite part about this house is that we started looking for property in what? End of November, beginning of December? Pretty much. The house we're in, both of us independently saw it on the realtor app and didn't show the other person. <laughs> Specifically because it is a log cabin. Or so we thought. And I hate log cabins. And Eric doesn't mind them, but I hate them. I saw it and I was like, this is a pretty cool property. Ooh, it's 24 acres. I like that. I like the location. I like, like, it fits everything. It's great for all counts, but I do not want to live in a log cabin. And I knew she didn't want to live in a log cabin, so (laughs) I didn't show her. Right. And also, whoever took the picture, some of them were a little bit strange anyways, so... We looked at it, and we're like, yeah, I I don't know. Individually, we both looked at it that way. And then one day, I believe you came to me, and... I find Yeah, I finally caved, and I was like, all right, there's nothing else right now. And you're like, oh, there's an open house on Saturday. Do you want to go? It was like two days later. Do you want to go? And you were like, oh, I saw that house like two months ago, but I didn't show you because I knew you'd hate it. (laughs) Which was kind of true, but we went to the open house, uh... Spoiler alert, we ended up buying that house. Well, right here. It, it actually took us multiple trips here before deciding on buying it. It did. We, we, For the record, we put in the offer like two days before COVID hit and everything oh my God, went yeah. crazy in the real estate market of not being able to list your house and we couldn't list our house. It was just, it was crazy. COVID, COVID really stretched that out for us, but... Took us from March all the way until... October. Yeah, October to close on the actually house. Put, right. In that time, though, it was, what, two-ish weeks before we closed on the house that Eric relapsed again. So that was now round number three with cancer. And I probably had borderline panic attacks multiple days because it was a really, really terrifying thought of what if. What if this is the one that we don't win? So... That was really, like, just really tough of having finally kind of gotten our our land, our farm, our dream. And then it's like, oh, by the way, I did all the packing up at the old house. Yeah, she doesn't realize I planned it perfectly. Didn't have to do any moving. (laughs) Right? I did almost all of the unpacking myself. My brother and his kids helped a ton moving the house on that crunch weekend when we had to get everything out. Your sister came out, your mom came out, my parents were here. So we did have a lot of helpers, but it came down to if nobody had showed up, I would have had to do it all by myself because... And it would have been impossible. Physically, you were... I've You've had cancer three times and I've never seen anything hit you as hard as this one did. Yeah, I, I literally hit a wall. Just dropped right off very fast. Oh it, my gosh, you turned gray and you just basically slept all day. And the, the treatment they were giving me was just a holdover. And it beat right. the heck out of me. So our first, what was it? You were here for like three months you were here and then... Or two months, I guess. Yeah, October, November, and you spent Christmas and New Year's. Right, so mid December to mid January, you went to UPenn and you had a CAR T treatment for those who are scientifically inclined and want to know. um, That basically they take a blood draw from you, 
They pull out certain cells from your immune system, they, retrain them in a lab to recognize the cancer cells specific to Eric, his cancer cells specifically, uh, and then they stick them back in. Well, and they also multiply them and well, put that a too, yeah. ton of them in you. Yeah, they multiply them, they stick them back in, and they see what happens. And then they go to work as little soldiers killing cancer. Right, assuming it works, then that's what they do, and it's a lifelong drug. Yeah, um, in theory, those cells never will leave my body. They'll keep... Uh, that's the hope. Yeah, they'll keep just multiplying. Living and drug. Yeah. Growing and... Living drug. That they'll always be there to catch it before it comes back and can be... So, I mean, it, it could be trying to come back, but the hope is that the T-cells, those immune cells, will always be there and always snuffing them out. But that made for a very stressful first few months here and we definitely even though we bought the land and we bought this place and we moved here i think mentally both of us we were kind of holding off on let's start a farm until we knew i hate to say it this way but until we knew for sure who was going to staff that farm the amazing thing about CAR-T and down at UPenn is pretty much every time i walked out of the hospital before that i walked out struggling you know i had a lot of recovery time I walked out of UPenn in the best shape I ever walked out of the, a hospital. And yeah. the recovery yeah. was so much quicker and just so much better. It, it was really amazing. Basically, and hit I the think, ground running. I think you had been back for all of, what, like two weeks? And it was like, okay, do we, do we take yet another leap of faith? Take that big gamble and are, are we doing this? Are we starting a farm? The big thing everybody doesn't necessarily know is that when you go into this CAR-T treatment, when you go into the consult for it before you do it, the two major side effects, well, really the one major side effect of it, like, obviously there's a chance that this may not work, right? It's still a trial. That's, they're not, they just haven't done it long enough to know for sure if this is the quote-unquote cure that they're hoping it is. It shows a ton of promise. I think it's 11 years. 15. No, 11 years remission for the first patient that ever had this treatment oh, done. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's pretty darn promising. Different age bracket, so we'll see. The other really terrifying thing is when you sit there and they tell you there's this side effect, that side effect, that side effect during treatment, and we have to tell you that there is a decent possibility that these will kill you. 104, 105 degree fevers are not a joke. So going into this treatment itself was terrifying. So you came out of this treatment yeah. and we took that as a sign, took it as a leap of faith that, all right, you're here. You're, you're still here. You're still on this earth. Let's do this. What was it about a month later that I came home from tractor supply with chickens and ducklings? Um, yeah, but it was two weeks later that we placed the order for the hatchery. And the only reason you came home from tractor supply with them is because you can't resist ducks. That's As we've truth. proven time and time again. Hey, you ordered some of those 40. 44. Four. 35 of which we got from Tractor Supply because softy over here. They are delicious. Yeah, that's a story for another day. But anyway, fast forward and we got chickens. And those people are speaking the truth when they call them gateway drugs. We got chickens and then we and got... And then we got more chickens. And then we got more chickens. And some ducks. And, and then, then more chickens. Then we got some goats. And then we got some goats. We started a garden this year. The garden wasn't super successful, but we, we weren't set up for it very right. well. The soil just wasn't right. We've got some things to work on. We got there. a puppy. 
Yeah. We got a puppy who's like crazy. You've probably heard her walking around and wagging her tail this whole, and hitting things this whole episode because she cannot stay still. And <laughs> Oh, and we got a bunny too. Well, that's not really a farm animal. It's a, it's no, animal. no, it's not. Because there's a very big distinction between meat rabbits and house rabbits. And This is true. I don't think he tastes very good. He's kind of little. He's super small. So here we are. And it's been one hell of a road to get here, but that's kind of why we're here and part of why we're talking to you guys and part of why we're doing all of this because I think we feel pretty confident saying that if we can fight through all of this, with me in particular being a Debbie Downer my entire life, a more likely to quit than keep going kind of person, if we can fight through this and get here, anybody can. Did I close you down again? During all of my cancer this last round, we were here on this property, and there were points that I was struggling really bad. But there's something about being on this land that is just It's a dream come true for you. It is, 100%. It's definitely a dream come true. What little physical ability you honestly had leading up to your treatment as you got weaker and weaker, I mean, it was all you had to walk the, what, like 400 feet from the house to the pond? with the kids yeah we made it out there and then times. come back like that would that would tax you to where you needed to sit down and you need to take a break because you were tired from that and for an 800 foot walk to wear you out i mean i know it's not a sidewalk but still it walking just, walking a thousand feet or less should not wind you but it basically did so just the feeling of being on this land and it just having your own private park yeah i, I remember sending a picture to my dad and him saying oh what park are you at and i'm like um <laughs> This is my house. <laughs> it's just, it's definitely a different feeling that until you have your own land, you have your own space, follow your dream. Don't let the bad parts of life win. <laughs>